All right, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. If you are here with us this morning in person, I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out. Open those Bibles. Let's focus on what Scripture says. If you're watching by Facebook Live, I'd encourage you to stop scrolling and giggling at memes as you semi-listen in the background and pay attention to what the Word is going to say this morning in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 35. It's a very, very, very important passage of Scripture. And it's very, very, very vital for us, especially as Baptists, many of us who have grown up in the church with the, with the traditional Baptist mindset to hear what Jesus, the head of the church, is saying to us in Luke chapter 13. And we've been walking our way through Luke. Um, Miriam asked me last night, so how long are we going to be in Luke? Until we're done, okay? Until we're done. Uh, we're going to eventually get through it by God's grace. But this morning, we've made it to this point in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 35. Before we get into the meat of the text, I want to make sure that we see something that kind of surrounds uh, the narrative that we see this morning. What I want us to see is the absolute sovereign calm of Jesus. The sovereign calm of Jesus. Look in verse 22. It says, as he, and he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. You remember, maybe, back in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, Luke tells us that when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And now we come to Luke chapter 13, and he is going from one village and one city to the next village to the next city, but he is purposefully, strategically, methodically making his way to his destination without interruption, without distraction, to Jerusalem. Now if you drop down to verses 31 to 33, you will see that he is in complete control of his life and his death. He's in complete control. In verse 31, he's already made the Pharisees mad. And we'll see that in a moment. But at this time, some Pharisees approached in verse 31, saying to him, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Like They're looking out for his best interest, of course. And he said to them, now notice this, this is Jesus, meek and mild. He says to them, go and tell that fox... Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. I just think it's important for us to see that Jesus is not threatened by the Pharisees. Jesus is not threatened by Herod. Jesus is not threatened by distractions or interruptions. He will be in Jerusalem for his scheduled, predetermined death by the predetermined hands at the predetermined time. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, but right on time. As Peter said in Acts 2.23, he was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus is in absolute sovereign calm. He's not rattled. 
With that backdrop, I want us to see the heart of the message. It's found in verses 23 to 30. Verses 23 to 30. Now, I know this may not come as a surprise, but we're going to spend two weeks looking at this. And we're going to spend two weeks looking at this because your soul depends on it. I want you to hear that because we're not just trying to put together an outline. We're not just trying to entertain you for another Sunday so that maybe you'll come back next Sunday. We're not just trying to get through another sermon, learn a little something from the Bible, and go home gratified. That's not what we're here for, at least not this Sunday and next Sunday. Please let us realize that what Jesus is about to say to us, we need to get Because if we don't get it, our souls are at stake. Not where you eat lunch, but your soul. Not avoiding COVID-19, but your eternal soul. Your eternal soul is at stake this morning. So when we read these words, let that sink into your head. Please, let it sink into your heart. That this has to do with your soul that will never, ever, ever die. Jesus says in His Word, in verse 23. We pick up in verse 23. And someone said to Him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I, don't not, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. We're going to look at these verses today and next Sunday because I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. And because your soul will depend on it. Verse 23, someone said to Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. How many will be saved, Jesus? This sounds like a pretty good question, does it not? How many will be saved? But Jesus skillfully sidesteps this individual's wrong question with a right answer. 
Don't worry about how many will or will not be saved. Don't worry about how many will or will not be saved. Make sure you get in. That's your priority this morning. Not to worry about the person next to you. Well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I'm really considering this person's salvation. They just don't look too much like a Christian to me. They don't dress too much like a Christian to me. They don't smell too much like a Christian to me. Now it's time to stop that and look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I getting in? That's what Jesus is saying. Now with that said, we need to remember that Jesus has already answered this question. He's already answered the question, are there just a few who are being saved? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus answers this question. Now now listen, we've got to get out of our head all of our traditional mindset and the things we've read in best-selling books and the things that have become accepted in the church that aren't in Scripture. And we've got to see what Jesus says. Because what Jesus says goes even if we don't like it. What Jesus says goes even if we disagree with it. And this is what Jesus says. He answers this man's question in another place at another time. Are there only a few who are being saved? And Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now Jesus makes it very clear. Many enter through the wide gate. Many take the broad way that leads to destruction. Few enter through the narrow gate. Few travel the narrow way, that leads to life. It doesn't take a math major to know that many is more than few. And these two are on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're not even close together. Many go to destruction. Few find life. Now this should stop, cause us to stop this morning and think, are we part of the many or are we part of the few? And we should not just presume. Jesus reveals two gates. He reveals two gates. There's the wide gate. The wide gate, it's not hard to find. It's wide. It's popular. You can can stand at this gate and you can see famous actors, famous singers, world-renowned athletes, Politicians pass right through. You can stand at this gate and you can see co-workers. You can see classmates. You can see church members pass right through. That shouldn't be a surprise to you if you've been here long, that you can be a church member and go straight to hell. You understand that? Church membership doesn't save a soul. You can, you can stand at this, this gate and you can see... Your friends, you can see your family members pass right by. Many there be that go in this way. It is popular. It's a wide gate. But then, there's not only a wide gate, but there's a narrow gate. And this narrow gate 
is difficult to find. It's narrow. It's small. It's easily obscured. It's easily obscured by the hypocritical church members that you may have known. It's easily obscured by the distractions of this life. It's easily obscured by our pursuits of riches and cares and the pleasures of this life. It's easily obscured by our sinful flesh. It's often hidden by the church as we get distracted with a thousand other things other than the gospel. It's a a small gate. It's a narrow gate. Now these are the two gates. And the only two gates. The only two gates. The wide and the narrow. He reveals not only two gates, but two ways. The easy way. The easy way is just go with the flow. If you've ever been on a river, you see driftwood. Right? Driftwood's just going with the flow. Going with the current. People who travel the easy way are just like driftwood. They're dead. And they just go with the flow. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. We're dead men walking. Driftwood moving. But lifeless. Weak, convictionless, taking the path of least resistance, the easy way. We're dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according, according to the course of this world. You see, the world just pushes us along like the current pushes the driftwood along. It just goes along with the flow. It doesn't go upstream. It goes downstream with the current. And that's what people do who enter the wide gate, who take the easy way. They walk in stride with the actors. They walk in stride with the singers. They walk in stride with the athletes. The the very people that the world admires, they walk in stride with you. They may even get to be one. And if not, you can travel along with your classmates, you can travel along with your co-workers, you can travel along with your family and your, and your friends who idolize these people. You can at least be part of the crowd, right? That's easy. The easy way. We're like driftwood, dead, caught up in the current. But what we don't see is the last part of this verse, according to what? To the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Listen. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, drifting like driftwood down the river with the current of society. And what we don't see is it is all orchestrated and led on by the prince of the power of the air who's up ahead clearing the way. He's clearing the way so there's no distraction from his path. There's no obstructions in his path. It's just smooth sailing straight to hell. It's easy to go in the wide gate. It's easy to travel the easy way. It's funny to me how teenagers and young adults try to be rebellious. You just think about the quote-unquote rebellious teenagers and young people that you may know of. But what does it mean for them to rebel? they, They seem to rebel 
by doing what Hollywood says. I'll never forget this movie that came out, and I didn't watch it, which shouldn't be a surprise to those of you who know me well. The Fast and the Furious. All of a sudden, apparently on this movie, they were little four-cylinder cars with no mufflers that were very irritating that ran all over the movie set. And I started noticing all these little cars with no mufflers running up and down the road. I'm thinking, how ridiculous is that? And then I find out, oh, a movie came out about little loud cars. So everybody went and got them a little loud car. Let's just do what Hollywood says. What social media platforms tell them is cool and tell them is acceptable, they do. So basically, here's what it means to be a teenager and a young adult. You do what everybody else is already doing. You go with the flow and you miss the fact that you're not rebelling, you're conforming. You're not, a, you're not in rebellion, you're a conformist. To rebel, you have to do something different. And the different thing is the difficult thing. He says there's not just an easy way, there's a difficult way. You really want to rebel? Go the difficult way. Jesus doesn't hide the truth. Even th- from the very beginning, he doesn't come to the platform and say, Okay, guys, God loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life. He, he has your best life now in mind. Just come to Jesus and we'll keep all the hard stuff secret. No, up front, up front, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his instrument of execution, and let him follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It is a difficult way. And it is time for us in America to stop sugarcoating it and acting like we're some chosen few when we're really not persecuted, not because we're not the chosen few, we're not persecuted, persecuted because we're the frozen few. We're not a threat to anybody. We're just frozen in our pews. No life. No conviction. It's a difficult way. It's a narrow way. It's a persecuted way. It's a suffering way because there's enemies on every side and at every turn. These are the two ways. The easy way. The difficult way. And the only two ways. They're the only two ways. Jesus reveals two gates and two ways and two destinations. There's destruction. Destruction, the wide gate and the easy way leads to destruction. If you, if you this morning walk in, walked into this place and you are traveling the easy way, I want you to hear me. If you walked into this place this morning and you are traveling the easy way, it is highly likely that you didn't pass through the narrow door. Because you see, the narrow door leads to a difficult way. The wide gate, the wide door leads to an easy way. So if you walked in this morning and you're traveling the easy way, you might want to turn around and check on which door 
you entered this way through. Because the wide door, the easy way, leads to destruction. But the narrow gate and the difficult path lead to what? To life. And not just life, but life eternal. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Life. Eternal life. These are the two destinations. And the only two destinations. Destruction and life. Are there just a few who are being saved? As a matter of fact, yes, only a few. Because many choose the wide gate. Many choose the easy way that will lead to destruction. The right question this morning is not how many will be saved, but will I be one of them? But will I be one of them? Verse 23, someone says to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Will I be one of the few? Will you be one of the few? Are you going to enter the narrow gate or not? Are you going to enter the narrow door and travel the difficult way or not? But what is the narrow gate, Jesus? Where is the narrow door? He tells us in John chapter 10. We'll skip down to verse 7 through 9 of John chapter 10. Since Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Where's the door? Who's the door? Where's the narrow gate? Who's the narrow gate? It is Jesus. Jesus. Now, how do we get in this door? How do we get in this gate and onto the difficult way, Jesus? How do we get to you, Jesus? Well, you see, here's what you do. You listen to a sermon. You get some butterflies in your stomach. Get a little nervous. Raise your hand when the preacher tells you to raise your hand. Repeat the prayer word for word. Mean it from your heart of hearts. When you repeat that prayer word for word, mean it from your hearts. Then you get up and you walk down in front of everybody and you tell everybody you just prayed that prayer and meant it in your heart of hearts. And then when you stand up in front of everybody and you tell everybody that, then you get baptized. And then you go on with your life like every other American and you're a Christian. It's not what Jesus said. That's what some clever professors and preachers put together so it'll be easier for them to put a notch in their belt and say, we had 30 people pray to receive Jesus tonight. Well, come back tomorrow and you can't find 29 and three quarters of them if you're lucky. Because it's not what you pray or say 
that saves. It's what God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, does in your heart. And if all it took was to enter the narrow door, was just to say some magic words, we should line up every five-year-old, as soon as they can talk plainly, and say, do any of you want to burn forever and ever in the hottest fire you can ever imagine for all eternity? How many of you want, none of them are going to want that. No, 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 no. How many of you want to live in a, in a wonderful, peaceful, happy place? Oh, we all do. Well, just repeat this after me. We could have record baptisms. That's not how you get saved. That's not how you get through the door. How do you get through the gate, Jesus? How do you get through the door? He tells us, we strive, we strive, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, where do we see many? Just a minute ago, where do we see many? Oh, many are at the wide gate. Many are traveling the easy path. Many are on the way to destruction. And many do what? Many live like hell and don't even care. No, that's not what it says. It says many will seek to enter and will not be able. You know what this tells us? This tells us that being a seeker is not sufficient. Many will seek. Many will, will perpetually research. Many will perpetually Google. Many will, will perpetually consider and discuss and listen to their podcasts and read their blogs and be ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth and go to hell with shelves full of books and information. Many will seek, but that is not enough. We don't need to be seekers. We need to be strivers. Those that would enter in must strive to enter. And the Greek word here for strive indicates that entering the door of God's kingdom takes conscience, purposeful, and intense effort. The word carries with it the idea of contending for a prize. So when Jesus says strive to enter... The door, the narrow gate, he's telling us to try to get in that door like we are contending for a prize. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. To strive is to run, not just to cross the finish line. I've got last place, but i got a medal and a sticker to put on my back windshield. No! To run, to win. Run like you want to win. If I told you that if you ran a race next year, January 31st, 2022... And you could win that race. I'd give you $10 million. You would run yourself to death in 2021. Would you not? You would diet and you would run yourself to death. You would figure out how to win that race if it was at all possible for $20 million. And then here's how you go about eternal life. Well, you know, if I get in, I get in. I, I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can here. 
I just lollygag around when it comes to spiritual things. But for $20 million, I would work myself to death. For $20 million, I'd starve myself to death. For $20 million, I mean, that would be worth it. But you know, spiritual things, you either get it or you don't. And that's why many of you might stand before Jesus and find out you are nothing more than seekers. Because to get into the kingdom, to get into the kingdom, you need to run like you want to win. To strive is to run, not just across the finish line, but to win. This is how you must enter. It carries with it the idea of contending not only for a prize, but with an enemy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, Fight, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold, lay hold on eternal life. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. These are strong words from a man of God to a man of God. Fight. Fight. Now, if you walk out of this room and you go downtown today and someone slips up on you from behind and they try to take you down and start to murder you, how are you going to fight? Help. Someone. Help me. Is that how you're going to fight? It doesn't matter if you're 87 years old. You're fixing to find strength to claw, pull, hair, punch, gouge, whatever you got to do, right? You're going to fight for your life. But when it comes to your eternal soul that lives forever, (laughs) boy, you know, I'll box as one beating the air. Maybe. I mean, there is a reality TV show that's kind of gripped me right now. I need to get through that Netflix series first. I'm sorry, but it's true, people. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up and stop going with the course of this world and knowing every actor's name and every little nuance of every movie and whatever else it is we get our kicks from and realize that we are fighting for our life. These are strong words from a man of God to a man of God. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. This is how you may enter. Contend for the prize. Contend with an enemy. The word also implies a struggle. The Greek word for strive. The Greek word for strive is the root of our English word agonize. Agonize. Now I know that in America we have replaced agonizing in the church with organizing in the church. We can organize anything you want us to organize. But it's agonizing that gets us into the kingdom. We must agonize to get in. John Bunyan said this, Therefore, when he says, when Jesus says strive, it is as much to say, run for heaven, labor for heaven, Wrestle for heaven or you are likely to go without it. 
People are prone to think they can get into heaven by lying, as it were, on their elbows. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Run, fight, agonize. After all, verse 25 says, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Do you know a door has two purposes? Door has two purposes. Purpose one is to be opened in order to let in. But purpose two is to be shut in order to keep out. And once the door's been shut, listen. Once the door has been shut, it will be too late. And the door could shut on some of you today. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how healthy you are. Doesn't matter how careful you are. The door could shut on some of you today. And once the door has shut, it will be too late and your fate will be final. Are there many who are saved? No, only a few. So strive, strive, run, fight. Agonize for heaven before it is too late. Come to Christ. Come to the door before it is too late. Enter at the door before it is too late. Because outside of the narrow gate, outside of the narrow gate, is no place to loiter. And some of you have been loitering there. You've been hanging out there. Well, I know what I was told when I was six years old, but I know I really haven't been transformed by the power and the grace of God. I haven't really been born again. I really haven't been made a new creation, but I kind of want to hang on to what I was told because it would be kind of embarrassing to step through the door today. So I'm going to hang out here and think about it a little while longer. Hanging outside of the door is dangerous. John Bunyan wrote a masterpiece called The Pilgrim's Progress. Second... Only to the Bible in sales. It would do us well to read it. And here's a section from where Christian arrives at the gate. He's had to run. He's had to strive. He's had to agonize. But he makes it to the gate. And Bunyan writes, So in process of time, Christian arrived at the narrow gate. Now over the gate there was written, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He knocked therefore several times, saying, May I now enter here, though I have been an undeserving wretch? If so, I shall sing his everlasting praise. At last a serious person came to the gate named Goodwill and asked who was there, from whence he came, and what he wanted. And Christian responded, I am a poor burdened sinner Coming from the city of destruction, I'm going to the celestial city that I may be saved from the wrath to come. I've been informed, sir, that the way to the celestial city is through this gate. Are you willing to let me enter? Goodwill replied, I'm willing with all my heart. And with this, he opened the gate. And as Christian was stepping in, Goodwill gave him a sudden yank. Surprised, Christian asked, why did you do that? Here's one reason not to loiter outside the gate. Goodwill then explained... A short distance from this gate, there is a strong castle erected, of which Beelzebub is the prince. 
From there, both he and his minions shoot arrows at those who come up to this gate, hoping to kill them before they can enter in. Then Christian said, I both rejoice and tremble. There's nothing Satan would rather you do this morning than to walk up to the gate and loiter. Just give him enough time to distract you with a news broadcast. Give him just enough time to distract you with a Facebook post that sets you off. Give him just enough time to distract you with your stomach and wanting to be the first to the buffet. Give him just enough time to distract you or just enough time to kill you on the way and to keep you from entering the gate. Oh, that you would tremble now. Oh, that you would tremble now at the thought that there is a castle from which Satan and his demons are firing their flaming darts at you right now to keep you from entering the gate. And oh, that you would come to Christ today before it's too late. Enter at the door before it's too late. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Enter the gate and rejoice. That's our hope and our prayer for you this morning. Would you bow with me just for a moment? I want you to hear me loud and clear. Jesus Christ is the door. And Jesus Christ, the door, the gate that you have to enter, listen, has already come to this earth to do everything that is necessary for you to get in the door. He's checked every box that is necessary for you to get into the kingdom. He's done it all. There's nothing left for you to do. You can't be good enough. And you can't be too bad. Jesus has done it. And not only has He done everything necessary to get you into the kingdom, not only has He checked every box for you, but He went to the cross and He paid the penalty for your sin. He paid your debt. You you come into the kingdom because of what He's already done for you, and you come without any debt, without any guilt, without any sin to be paid for or to do penance for. It's been paid for in Christ on the cross. He died on the cross and was buried in a barred tomb and sealed off in that tomb is your sin. And He rose from the grave on Sunday so that you this morning, if you will run for Him, and you will strive for Him, and you will fight To get to Him. And agonize now over your sin. And knock upon that door. He will open it. And He will welcome you in. So as Miss Lisa begins to play, I want you, where you are, to pray. I want you to pray for just a moment. That God would show you Are you just a seeker? Are you just somebody who's gone through the motions? Are you just somebody who's ticked the Baptist boxes to get an appeasement to your conscience? Are you someone who has been so moved 
by the glory of God and the sinfulness of your sin and the hope of heaven that you are a striver. You're an agonizer. You're a runner. You're a fighter. If you're just a a, a seeker, you have never, you've never stepped through that gate by faith, not by sight, not by all of the knowledge in the world, not by all of the understanding in the world, but by faith in the goodness of our God and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. If you stepped into that gate, turned away from your sin and your self-righteousness and your transgressions and your iniquity and your pet sins, if you turned away from that and turned to God through faith in Christ, and as he transformed you, as he changed you, as he made you a new creation, this morning, if not, if not, please, please, please call upon his name even now. Call upon his name now. Agonize even now before him. Knock and keep on knocking. For the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be open. Ask and keep on asking for the one who asks. And keeps on asking, the door will be open. Seek and keep on seeking for the one who seeks. And keeps on seeking, he will find. So you agonize now. This is not fast food religion where you pull to the speaker and say, I want a little salvation. And you roll to the first one and it's hanging out the window for you. And you leave a five-star review. No, this is not fast food. This is dealing with God for your soul. Your soul. I don't know how I can beg anymore, plead anymore, or make it any clearer. you are not in the kingdom, please, please, please call upon Him now. Agonize now. Pray now. And listen, don't leave this campus without talking to me or Andy or Michael or Tom or someone that you trust and that you know and that you love. Please, please don't exit this place. There's fiery darts waiting on you just outside that door. Let us snatch you into the kingdom this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your gospel that you have come to this earth to live the life that is required of us. You have come and you have died the death that our sin deserves and demands. You have been buried and you have resurrected from the grave, triumphant and victorious over death, over hell and over the grave so that every person in this room right now under the sound of my voice who will hear and understand and believe can turn from their sin and put their faith and their trust in you. Can be made a new creation. God, I pray that you would grant repentance in this room right now. True repentance. That you would grant faith in this room right now. And that we would leave here not as seekers, but as agonizers. As strivers. As fighters. As runners. Who want to know you and experience you like never ever before. God, help us to enter that narrow gate and travel that difficult way that leads to life. And help us to have the courage. Help every person that you're speaking to and dealing with now have the courage to call upon you and then to reach out before they leave this place to someone that can pray with them and point them to you. Help us 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy again and for your Holy Spirit who points us to Christ in spite of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.